0: is someone else's movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Ilya Neishler, a filmmaker and musician who broke out with the first-person shooter feature Hardcore Henry and who turned Bob Odenkirk into an action star earlier this year in the revenge thriller Nobody, which is now available on Blu-ray, 4K, and DVD. It's an awful lot of fun. Ilya picked The Way of the Gun, which marked the directorial debut of Oscar-winning screenwriter Christopher Macquarie, and which pairs Benicio del Toro and Ryan Phillippe as two not-terribly-bright gunmen who decide to kidnap a pregnant woman, played by Juliette Lewis, for a million-dollar ransom. And, of course, that brings hell down on them. These things happen. Also, in a first for this show, Ilya recorded his episode from inside a parked car on the Moscow set of his next production, so the connection isn't perfect. But on the upside, you get a guest appearance from Craft Services. Technology is amazing. This is someone else's movie.
1: I've loved that movie since I saw it first. Uh, back in, I think it's 2003. God, I should have prepped for this. Um, no, no worries. It was released in 2000. Um, 2000. Uh, yeah, okay. but where, oh, when boy. would you have seen it, and how? I would have. I would have had a. Uh... I don't want to admit it, but two thousand probably would have been a pirate VHS. That's Russia for you. Uh, no longer. Now we have access to everything. We have streamers. We have things you can buy and legally. And we're 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 becoming civilized. Well, we are civilized at this point, or we pretend to be. But uh, back then, it must have been uh, uh, probably not the greatest copy as well. But that doesn't deter us from from enjoying good movies. Um, it um, the reason I picked it was uh, I don't know if it's right to talk about another podcast, but I was asked to Joe Dante's Movies That Made Me podcast and oh, they yeah. asked for a mo- list of 10. And I remember coming up with a list of 10 and I made a pretentious list. And I was like, <laughs> let's talk about movies that you actually love and don't need to pretend to be smarter than you are. So I scratched the whole and made a list of things that are, there were still somewhat pretentious, but at least there were uh, movies that I, that I really loved. And Way of the Gun... I kind of just forgot about it because my mind doesn't work. I don't have a library. Like, I've seen a lot of movies, but if you ask me, I'll tell you. If you don't, I'll be like, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> and I missed *Putting Away of the Gun* there. And I thought, you know what? I love that film. I love Christopher McQuarrie's work, all of it. So I'd like to go on record somewhere to profess my love to his first film. Yeah, the story of such a long of waste of time. No, beaten, no, no, but no. That's
0: that's fine. That's how it works, really. I mean, you know, people just speak their hearts. Um, it's funny. I hadn't, I think it's fair to say I hadn't thought about it in a really long time. And when you picked mm-hmm. it, I was thinking, wait, is that the Macquarie film? And then it took me a second to reconcile it with the rest of his career. Cause he's, it's really the only time he's done something like this. It's, it's a different move for him.
1: I don't think it is. Norm. I don't okay. think it is. I think it's norm got everything in there that he loves about movies. And I think he's, there's elements that have repeated over his, that span the rest of his career. And, uh, to see his first foray into directing. And I know it didn't work as well as I'm sure they would have hoped in terms of sort of their success, yeah. but I think it's just, it's a terrific piece of filmmaking with so many very special scenes and, and, and and the way it feels and the way it treats the audience with respect. It's so rare. And I know that he's been able to do that on a much bigger scale, but I think the heart and the intent of his has kind of been, very similar from the, from the get go. And I think it's great to see just like watching, you know, bottle rocket for Wes Anderson. It's not world Bombs, but you see the seeds of all the things that he's planted over the years before they sprouted. So it's um, I think to me, it's a very special film that I rewatch. I think it's once a year. And I know a lot of people that I've worked with, especially writers who hold that movie in such high regard that it's a pleasure to, have one of your favorite films be loved by other people you work with. It's such a, cause you know, you always know you can get along with people. If you like the same songs sure. and if you like the same movies, in fact, I think it's, if you hate the same things, that's an even a stronger bond. I think Nick Hornby said in one of his novels, maybe it was high fidelity, but, um, but way of the gun is I've worked with a lot of people who really, really love that movie. And it, in terms of references, I know it it, it influenced subconsciously and consciously a lot of my choices. Uh, throughout all the things I've made, all my huge filmography of two two movies. <laughs> there you go. It, I guess when
0: I said that it seems like it's an outlier for him, I think it's the only movie he's made where it's so strangely, I don't know self-conscious, but there's there's an archness to it that feels like I get at the time, anyway, my thought was he's trying to ride the Tarantino Rave in a different direction. He's trying mm-hmm. to do the, the you know like the self-aware, Mm-hmm. Slinger thing in the present day and it after the usual suspects which was such a a unique I mean it, it's it's not Tarantino it's neo-noir and writing no. the same idea yeah. but it it absolutely owed nothing to that other the, way there is
1: one I'm sorry no I'm sorry to keep interrupting no 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 uh, it's your episode there's one there's one thing in the usual suspects that is incredibly Tarantino-ish when uh uh Giancarlo Esposito shows up in the hospital One of the guys says that uh, she was like the reporter from the Hulk. And that could have only happened after all the pop reference that Tantino popularized. That's That's the one thing that I think they added that fit the time. But apart from that, it's got nothing.
0: Uh, Yeah. It's a, it's a thing that he does in this movie though, where he doesn't, he never did it in anything else as a writer and it just felt, like the way this movie could get made somehow, right? Like the like mm-hmm. the way to package a film with with a very small budget and stars that, I mean, Del Toro hadn't, was about to win an Oscar, but he hadn't yet. He was mm-hmm. still sort of just this weird mm-hmm. character actor that nobody really knew how to package. And I think to to some extent, he still is, which I love about him, that he's, oh, yeah. he's, he's absolutely he's, refused. He
1: stayed true, true to taking great parts and strange parts and just embracing the oddity. And you know, I was re Fear and Loathing Las Vegas about a week ago. I haven't seen it in a long time. And it's still one of those movies, just like the book, that you can just go to any moment in the film and start watching it from there and watch 10 minutes, and you're going to have a great time. And it's so, so rare for a film to be able to do that. You don't need the intro. You don't need to just jump to any scene. You're going to be entertained. You're going to learn something, and it's going to be an insight to a very special mind. Um, and how great... I'm sorry, why did I start talking about that? Oh, because he's of Del Toro's choices.
0: his, his choice to pursue a, a career in eccentricity. There's, and...
1: there, yes. There is a moment when uh, Johnny Depp drives Del Toro's character to the plane and they crash to the airfield and the guy goes on. his And the, the voiceover, I'm going to completely butcher the phrase, but he says, there he goes, the last of his kind, too weird to live and too odd to die. And that really is Del Toro. I felt like he was talking about it just, yeah. Uh, Benicio is fantastic And obviously the choice Of Ryan Felipe I don't know Is it Felipe or Felipe How do you pronounce it I think it it's Philippi. Philippi. Never Felipe Him it. and Del Toro For the For the leads That's a very I mean throughout the, the entire film Is cast so So Superbly And it's also One of those movies Where voiceover works Because yeah. usually It's such a like Add voiceover Because you know People won't get voiceover But here From the very first Time it appears and the name's Longbow. Here's my partner, in the Longbow. And you're kind of it's not Longbow, it's Longbow. You're kind of like it's just I like how Quentin Quentin can come up with beautiful names for the character. I think Macquarie does the same thing. It's just you can tell from the movies Christopher makes that he's an incredibly smart guy who's read a lot of books and seen even more films than most people. It's very just uh, I can probably talk about the movie for a lot longer than we than we need to, but it's again the influences from certain scenes and the sort of the the approach to telling the story without letting you know everything right away let the audience live with it for a second. You don't need to know the answer. Let them be intrigued. It's very special and very, very unique. And by the way, my favorite fun fact about the film is uh, especially those of your listeners who have not seen it and are planning on seeing it. And hopefully you guys will. I really recommend it. Uh, After you've seen it, watch the trailer because norm if you haven't seen the trailer did you see what song they used
0: i know. you know what i i haven't seen it i probably haven't seen it in 20 years so no I, I can't remember
1: the distributor did not there's such a clear sign the distributor did not know what the fuck they were doing with this movie that's that it's it's limp biscuit right i yeah. how the hell did someone say you know what this needs more biscuit the kids no, like limp it no. biscuit it's like the most opposite polar opposite choice It's an intelligent film, and then you have this, and you watch the trailer. It's the most. I mean, seriously, you're gonna have a. It's such a cringy moment when you're gonna watch that after you after you wrap this norm. Do yourself a favor. You're gonna have a good time. It's just like my God. Yeah, Yeah, well, it's
0: it is the thing that was happening at the time, right? Because this was 2000. uh, Artisan Mm -hmm. Entertainment was just briefly a distributor force after Blair Witch. They had money. Mm -hmm. They had the ability to throw things at marketing and put things in theaters on a level that previously hadn't been possible. They were basically straight to video for years and years and years. And then something like this comes along. And I mean, what the genius of, of Longbow and Parker, right. Is that those are the names of the real names of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid. Yep. And I forgot about that. Of course. Yeah. Just, yeah. And, up and the film is this noted, whole of course, sort of yeah. elaborate thing on male gunslinger partner stuff. And I would have gone with raindrops keep falling on my head, right? Obviously, because you just put that on the soundtrack and it'll, it'll plant the idea in people's brains, whether they know the association or not. And instead it's like, who do the kids like? Shrek's big. What's in, what's like, what's a little harder than Shrek? It's that kind of thing. And I think Shrek was the following year anyway, but, but it's just that situation yep. where they clearly, they did not know what they had or they didn't care. And they just wanted people to think it was hip and cool. And it is hip and cool, but completely not in that direction.
1: No, it's again, it's an, an intelligent, smart way. It's a film that wants to respect the audience and not just want; It actually does respect the audience and not many movies do that. And not a lot of filmmakers care about it. And so when I see people who make films like that, it's just it just it's magnetic. It's so rare.
0: Yeah. And he trusts that we will pay Close enough attention, I think, Mm -hmm. to slowly draw out the connections between characters and figure out who's Mm -hmm. involved with whom. And to, in a weird, fun way, I thought, be ahead of our heroes who are... Not that quick and not that bright. They're good at what they do, but they're not long-term thinkers. I mean, I think that's
1: no, 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 sort no, of, of established
0: pretty pretty quickly in that opening sequence, which again, I had completely forgotten that was Sarah Silverman, but of course it is. It could be anybody
1: else. Though that, that line in the beginning, uh, I, I, I don't want to quote it because it's going to seem very misogynist in 2021, but get that over here before I... Oh, all, of it. Head. all of it that's all of it's vile and, and I mean, you know i love the touch i'll never forget when you see that show when the, the, the car alarm goes off and the guy that the ginger hair guy turns and beeps it off you see the del toro just sits there and i'm sure this was improvised i i i feel like 100 know it I, of course i don't but i just think it is is uh is get off my car hey yeah you fuck it. get off his car and del toro just grabs the mercedes badge and just kind of flips it a little bit in a joking yeah. way it's such a such a Del Toro thing too. He's like, yeah, fuck you in your car. It, I mean, there's a, the, I think when they get into the fight and the fact that he, it starts off with, with him, uh, uh, punching a woman, uh, and then, uh, stomping on her, um, on her high her, heels, her which friend's is just, foot, yeah, her friend's foot is just so, it's so ridiculous and so aggressive that I also at that point, Ryan Felipe, it's not the kind of guy who should be doing that as a star. You don't, you don't that's not what he associated with. I think cruel intentions must've. Yeah. Cruel intention was big before that. And so yeah. he was this heartthrob and here's him behaving like complete dick. Cause the characters are dicks. That's what makes it so great is that they're dicks. They're very uh, hungry for money that they don't deserve necessarily. And all the troubles that he did get, in, get into is because they make foolish choices, which by the way, uh, I don't want to turn this conversation towards nobody, but Hutch does the Bob's character. Hutch does exactly the same thing. Everything happens to the movies because he made the wrong choices. And that I think is what life really is. A lot of things that you do come back with consequences, or at least they should. Um, but that intro, it tells you it it sets the key thematically for the entire movie. It's guys doing reckless things and then getting hurt for it. And then they do the same thing for the next however long the movie, I can't, can't tell how long it is. It just doesn't it never felt long. But I think it might be like a two-hour movie. Yeah, it's just under two. Oh, and speaking of introductions, we have the intro to the main characters. Phenomenal, right? Super memorable. Again, Sarah Silverman just letting rip. And then what about, I forgot the actor's name, but I know, I think it's Juliette Lewis's father. Um, oh, Jeffrey Lewis. Jeffrey Lewis. Yeah, he shows uh, yeah. up later. That that scene where he's where he's got all these guns, he puts one bullet in each gun, he spins the, 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 spins the what do you call it, the cylinder, uh puts them all in the bag spins the bag and you're like what the fuck is he doing and he pulls the gun out and you understand that he's doing russian roulette where instead of one gun one bullet it's six guns six bullet it's the most ridiculous way and he's clicking and then the phone rings and it's james khan calling he's kind of like uh, i was kind of ready to go and then also the same outro for him as he's dying there and james khan's got to go because he's got to save his his daughter and he really has got to be going and he's like uh and it's that gag of him like almost dying. He was like, stay with me. But and James Caan plays it so beautifully as he's kind of like, all right, buddy, I love you, but I can't, I got, I got to go and you're dying. Just die quicker. And it's a moment where a character wants his friend to die quicker so you can get into the more important thing. Yeah. It's that blackest of comedies that is so hilarious. At least to me, it just felt like, I think it's one of those movies where if I made a film like that, I'd be incredibly proud of myself. I think that's always a sign for me as I watch music videos or commercials or movies that I wish I could have done that is something that I respect the most that I'm jealous of someone else who made it in the best possible way. And I, yeah. It, yeah. It no, just makes under- me very happy to see Christopher do what he's doing now. It, to me, it's just a sign that someone's been sticking by his guns and make, and now he gets to make huge entertainment that is still very intelligent. I yeah. mean, if that's not a creative victory. I don't know what is. It's a, it's
0: a weird career trajectory. I have to admit for someone who started on projects that had, no money and thus had to be all about dialogue and plot mm-hmm. to to go into the Mission Impossible series now where they're almost postmodern in their yeah. approach to storytelling because dialogue almost never matters. It's about what happens in the action and how things mm-hmm. move and, and occasionally you'll get an info dump. But I think we all collectively acknowledge that the, the, the plots are not the thing that we keep watching for. It's about no. watching... Well, I guess it's about watching Tom Cruise try to kill himself over and over again, and having stunt teams prevent it, which is you know an almost <laughs> documentary style thing that's going on behind the scenes. But McQuarrie, yeah, he turned out to be the best director for those um, into into what they are, right into the mm-hmm. into the current incarnation, because he somehow understands the momentum of them. And again, Way of the Gun doesn't feel like could be in the same uh, continuum as that because it has almost no momentum and not in a negative way. It's just this casual sauntering thing through. It's like there are television series in the fifties and sixties where, you know, like have gun will travel where the hero would Mm -hmm. just show up in a new town and have an adventure and leave. And it feels a lot like that. Maybe it's the Western setting and the, and the aesthetic that he brings to it, but just the sense that these guys have blundered into this, Thing that they're into now, and it won't matter tomorrow. It's all—I mean, it probably won't. There probably won't be a tomorrow, given how things end. But it feels like an episode. It feels like these two idiots have been wandering the earth for years, and this is where we find them here in this yeah. time. uh Even like the opening sequence doesn't really connect to the rest of the movie. It's like a Bond no, prologue.
1: it's—it's it, it, only—it's only there to serve as, as as the setup for the theme. You pretty much get the entire movie in in you know three minutes, and then. And then you see the full story unfold. But that is, it's the same tale just told on a tiny scale. I love it when the director or the writer gives you the key to the movie in the beginning. And usually it's done through dialogue. But here it's done through dialogue. That's absolutely cracking dialogue. Great actors delivering it. And then you also finish it off with the great unexpected action beats that you get. And I still remember the shot when the camera pans up and everybody and the cut you hear the cop sirens, you see the cop lights and the camera pans up. And I remember there's one guy, one extra who was kind of like, he's faking kicking, uh, Benicio. And he's kind of looks around. He's, he's this very like limbisky type of guy with the goatee and everything. Yeah. And I remember always, rewinding back going, ah, that's something you must've missed in the day. Cause the guy's kind of like, Oh uh, yeah, I got, uh, yeah cops are, I got to get out of here. I got to go. And, uh, the camera sees him because he's right in the center of the shot. But, uh, uh, it's such a silly nitpick. I, I even hate to bring it up, but I remember watching and going, yep, that's something to watch out for when I get to direct scenes where there's a lot of extras. You got to watch those faces because something will pop up undoubtedly.
0: Yeah. And that is the other question that always comes up in these podcasts is like, what have you taken from this film? It sounds like this one was pretty influential, but was it part of a wave that you were, you were sort of gorging on at the time? Did it just,
1: there was, I think this is kind of an odd example, but um. So I think it's got the best car chase of all time. Oh, well, and ten mile an hour ab- one. I, absolutely. When they, when they stop and they let the cars roll, and I'm seeing the tension, and I get perfect geography of what's happening, and I love in films. I absolutely love, 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 love. And it's not enough of it when you see a character do something and you're not sure what it is he's doing, and you're trying to figure out before before we before the the director reveals what's happening. You're trying to figure out what would you be doing in the situation. I think that's the greatest thing about action scenes. It's not how cool you can punch or how well you can put blood splatter on a wall. But to me, it's about, can I guess what's going to happen to get out of this predicament? And then they surprise me by doing something else. And you're like, ah, it's kind of like, you know how pop music works in the sense that you hear the chorus for the first time. You're like, I get it. And then you get the second chorus. And the reason it feels good is because you get dopamine that flies out when your, butt, when your brain starts guessing the lyrics because you already heard the first time. Yeah. And that to me is the, the action version of that. It's a dopamine of being able to figure stuff out and still be surprised. Uh, but that car chase, there was actually beat in a nobody car chase that uh, we're about, I think we shot some of it and another day. I think I realized that it's unnecessary, but after the crash, there was a long moment as Bob was trying to figure out what to do. Uh, and then he slowly start to drive back and I always had the idea of maybe using his foot. And I was like, that's probably too much and unnecessary in this in this particular context. But that scene was, I remember showing to, to Pavel the DP and going, that's sort of the reference for the mid midpoint of that card chase is when the smoke and you don't know what's going to happen. He's going to start rolling back. And it's that stop, start nature of it. And on the day, we didn't have much time to be able to do everything. Uh, and it's a, it's a shorter version of that, more aggressive. But uh, absolutely, in the back of my head, I think every script that I've written or co-written always had these elements where that were that were pretty much planted in my mind by that car chase which apparently if you believe imdb trivia uh was brought to chris McQuarrie by benicio del toro who saw it an episode of cops i can I'm absolutely sorry.
0: believe that thank you.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Just not, i just got my movie lunch <laughs> from our amazing uh uh girl oh that's wonderful Sorry. I,
0: will, uh, I won't keep you much longer. I know you got to no, eat. No, no,
1: the lunch can be cold. This is uh, the, the way I always say is like. if somebody wants to talk about our movie or have any reason to bring up our movie, we should be thankful and we should embrace because <laughs> without people talking about our movie, what are the people, how are the audience going to know what to see? So it's a, I think it's a fantastic symbiotic relationship that we should all have.
0: Well, that's what I've been doing for 30 years. So I absolutely agree. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I was going to say about nobody with, with nobody, you do have the advantage of having just this sort of great incongruous hook to it, which is that somewhere in the last 10 years, probably with Breaking Bad and definitely with Better Call Saul, like Bob Odenkirk reinvented himself completely as a dramatic actor and a great one. And now Uh third act action star. So Uh also credible, um, in, in a strangely compelling way. I mean, I know he's been complaining about, you know, not being able to do the stunt work for very long because he's older than, you know, his body just won't.
1: He's making it up. He, he's a, he's a trooper. That's yeah. all. Uh, I think he's, he's trying to be more humble than, than he needs to. It's, it's uh, the work that he put in and the amount of stuff that he could do. And uh, it, it really is. It's above and beyond what anybody does. Uh, okay. Let's do an action. Movie. All right. Get a stunt double, you know, go wider. No, this is Bob doing everything. And the fact, look, being able to do close-ups on Bob, who in less than a second can tell you exactly what the character is feeling, it's incredible because an action sequence is only as good as, as a story that surrounds it. There's no point having a, a, a you know a, a, a terrible story with a great action sequence. I mean, there's plenty of movies that do that. And I love those movies with all my heart. But when you have an opportunity to be able to have a character move through the action and you care about the character's fate much more, that is the the obvious the obvious way to go
0: oh yeah absolutely um i mean once they i I think it happened in the late 90s when cg got to the point where anything was possible and filmmakers started to realize you can cast real actors and support them they don't need to be like the van damme level physical thing but also just find the reality of a scene and play it that's Like that's the most important thing. And and weirdly enough, that's where I see the connection between Way of the Gun and Nobody, which is that they're both films that understand that we've seen this movie before. And then they proceed to play with our expectations the way that Way of the Gun does with the car chase, the way that Nobody does with the bus fight, where you're giving us the thing that was always going to happen in this genre. You're giving it to us the way we want it, but you're going to do it differently enough that it's still suspenseful, that there's a chance that someone could lose, that there's a chance that things will go a different way. Um, I mean, even more so than way of the gun, nobody escalates in a very deliberate fashion until by the end, it's like full on chaos, but it has to start from an organic place and it has to start from a place of relatability, right? The way of the gun starts that differently. It doesn't economically, like they just don't have money and they don't know what they're doing. And so they blunder into the sperm bank and then they blunder into the
1: is that that a wonderful moment i'm sorry when when they're sitting there they got the magazines and they're listening to the guy talk about the girl that's got a million dollar baby and they just tell that they're not going we should go get that baby we should go they don't do all of that it's just they just go do it you see it the gears are turning in their minds i'm sorry to interrupt no no
0: you're that's exactly what i mean though that there's there are things that happen you do it through montage with uh with odenkirk but there are things that play across people's faces that set things in motion before anyone ever talks about what it's going to be. And in in the case of nobody, it's um, the shootouts are cathartic in a way that I think the way of the gun doesn't quite achieve just because we, I don't know what it is. With the way of the gun, it's more about the fact that this is happening, that the the film is taking pleasure in restaging the kind of thing that Macquarie loves. Nobody, I, you know, you're clearly celebrating the action scene in the same way, but you've also given us a reason to hang in there and, and root for a family not to come apart or for because there is that the possibility in, in a movie like this that not everyone is going to come out alive. And you give us two separate layers of family dynamics, which the only family dynamic going on in the way of the gun by necessity has to be hidden from us, right? Like it has to be yep. the big reveal. James
1: Lewis, yeah, yeah, yep, that's the final twist. Um, it's, I think. What Way of the Gun does much better than nobody is that it's truthful to the theme and it's honest with the theme and it does right by the characters and what the fate needs to be. Because those characters, they should be either dead or dying at the end. That's their fate because that's what they chose. They chose the wrong way, chose the wrong way to live, and they don't deserve to ride into the sunset. They just don't. You wish they would, but they can't. With nobody, seeing as it's a studio film and seeing as 2020 or 2021 or 2019 we were making it, there are certain expectations where I remember thinking, talking to Derek and Bob and saying, look, there, Hutch needs to have punishment for his choices. And the way to do that would either be the obvious one to kill off the brother uh, or to really hurt the brother. Or to kill off the the father would have made sense the most. But the problem is, if you kill Chris Lloyd, the audience will not forgive you. They just won't. They just, they'll never recover. And I remember we were talking about this. And, you know, I think for a week, we're thinking about can can this be done and still have a feel good ending? It can't, not with Chris Lloyd. And we want Chris Lloyd. We want him to succeed. We want him to be happy and we want to be joyful with his mischievous action. Um, So it was, I, in a way, I, gently envy the ending to Way of the Gun as the honest, truthful finale to that those guys' stories, uh, to those guys' stories. Whereas with nobody, you can't. And that's okay. And once I understood that this is what this is what will happen, I decided to embrace the sort of the slight um not so much the plot armor, but more about how this is the genre. These are the rules we have to play in. Let's see I think Chris Lloyd at the end says there's a line uh, that was added by me on the day when um, when they kill off Fulian and Lloyd uh, walks through the smoke of the remaining smoke from the from the mine explosion and says excessive, but glorious. And that's what it is because it absolutely is excessive. We're also self-aware that it's kind of glorious because we expect that Act 3 huge shootout. And especially, I love that we said in a warehouse, the worst, most most just Boring possible place. I remember looking at all the possible finales and we are like, well, Julian Zabshak might be interesting. But but I thought, no, let's embrace the fact that it's a factory shootout. This is the most 80s thing we can do. Um, and let's have fun with it. And let's not pretend at that point that this is a serious film. It starts off serious, desaturated. It's, it's dramatic. But at the end, it's super colorful, super pop. And it makes sense because the character is going through that. And we are allowed to play and make it all super fun because the character is finally having fun and life is back and the mojo is back.
0: Yeah. Well, and it struck me too, that a factory shootout would be the kind of thing he did in the early days. So mm-hmm. it's, it is, you know, it's appropriate that you're returning to an eighties or even a nineties motif for a character who's, who's been on pause for 20 years until, yep. you know, events. That's also, and...
1: that's actually, I didn't think about it that way, but it's a great point. I want to, I want to say that that's what we planned from now. Oh, on. Yeah. yeah. I'd be like That's exactly what we intended.
0: You can have it. I mean, this is what I do as a critic. <laughs> I feel the movie back at people. And then you know, like, oh no, this was there the whole time.
1: Norm, Norm, the amount of times that I've been surprised by people explaining my film to me <laughs> in such a way I'll make, wow, if I had thought of this originally, I'd feel really smart. I didn't, but I'll take credit from now on. It's 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 the amount of subconscious ideas that you steal and borrow and it kind of clicks into place. I remember there was there's a really great Russian critic that I'm a big fan of the way he just dissects films and I love constructive criticism because anybody can say movies shit or good. That's I can do that. It's much harder to, be able to understand why and within the context of time and all that stuff. Sure. And I remember I talked to him about Harcourt Henry. And he started talking about the movies that I kind of have to share the same DNA and he rattled off some names. I'm like, my God. And this was live. We had his radio radio show back in Moscow. And, and I remember all I could do was politely nod and say, yeah yeah that that's precisely what and then i finally cracked and admitted that no but it makes total sense and i feel much smarter as if my subconscious came up with those choices <laughs> but uh, it's better better this way than not at all so i, I appreciate uh i appreciate the insight
0: no who knows where art comes from
1: what is that cl- classic line we, we oh, steal yeah. from the best and great artists uh, good art, good artists borrow great artists steal yeah and it's okay to steal but you can steal, like, people steal B-action movies and just repeat everything uh, annoyingly. Or you can steal, like, Tarantino, who's actually inspired. And he takes those things and he makes them into much better and bigger and more exciting for the audience. So it's all about, if you copy, you're just a douche. But if you upgrade it and take your own spin on it, that's what art is. I'm absolutely correct. It's just, that's, that's how we, we're standing on the shoulder of giants. And there's plenty of giants in the film uh, film world.
0: Yeah. Well, and just, you know, again, just as the way the gun leans so heavily on Westerns that it's target audience in 2000 probably hadn't even seen Mm -hmm. uh, because they were, you know, they were, they were old or black and white or out of touch or my, my favorite criticism of Butch Cassidy is that the songs are terrible and they are, but it also captures a moment and reflects the the way movies were working at the time in a way that they were changing and and playing with format the same way they are now just, in a completely different way. And then way of the gun comes along and riffs on Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid in a way that hardly anyone will, will see except that the frame of it, the shape of it, the po- the super posse chasing them, it's all there. Mm-hmm. It's just completely reoriented. And I keep wondering if McQuarrie will do that again, like come back to remix or, or, or uh, reshape something that he's, that he loves and, and let it come out, but maybe he's already doing it in the mission impossible films. Like they are the bond. I think, a, courage, I, I think
1: right? this, I think the pulp spirit is alive and well in those movies. I think his approach to not so much action because action is just fantastic, but the characters, the way they speak, I think Jack Reacher, by the way, has a lot of that. Mm-hmm. I think Jack Reacher has lots of moments that are, and I think nobody borrows very heavily from Jack Reacher. Um, I think the feel of the muscle car and sort of some of the, some of the way the characters looks and they walk. And there was a scene that we cut down into montage that was completely Chris McQuarrie from my understanding. And I mean, I know it's, 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 uh, it's, it's kind of, Oh, it's completely Chris McQuarrie, but it wasn't definitely inspired by it. There was a scene where he shows up at the barber's place and in the, the barbershop. And there was a, it was a longer beat as he walks in and he puts his hand behind his back and all these guys this is a very 70s shot of how you see, Oh, it was a shot that starts off with one of the bodyguards looking out board. And we see in the background, we shift focus. We see Hutch arrive in the car. He steps out. The guard notices one long, it was like a 42nd one that just didn't pacing pacing wise work in the, in the, in the final cut. But we see Bob walk through and enter the, the shot, enter the, the barbershop in one shot and all the guards slowly retreating back, slowly getting for the guns. And Bob's just standing there calmly and you see him grip the handgun in the back. It's that kind of tension that to me was, you know, pure Chris McQuarrie. Mm. And when we cut it down, I was kind of saddened, but I was like, look, the film's more important than my desire to show off that. I've seen some other movies, but, uh, that was completely, and I don't think we, I don't think we repaired it for the deleted scenes because it was just unnecessary, but that completely the grip on the gun, the sort of squeezing sound of as he, as he's good. Hello, gentlemen. Ah, Mr. Mansell has been long and they'd had longer conversation. It was just very, very, uh, I like to think if that scene was in the film where saw that movie, he'd be like, that son of a bitch is stealing from me, and I'd be like, goddamn right I am.
0: My thanks to Ilya Neishuller, whose new film Nobody, where Bob Odenkirk beats the crap out of an entire city, is now available on 4K, Blu-ray, DVD, and digital from Universal Studios Home Entertainment. Thanks also to Maria Novak. She knows what she did. You can find Ilya on Twitter at Neishuller, and you can find The Way of the Gun on Blu-ray and DVD from Lionsgate. It's also streaming for free in North America on Hoopla and Tubi, and if you're in the U.S., you can also find it on Canopy. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com, where I'm hosting a bunch of podcasts these days and writing the weekly Now Streaming newsletter, to which you should subscribe at NowToronto.Substack.com. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. Our theme song is By the Last Year. If you like it or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're there. Stay home, watch movies, wear a mask if you go out, get your shot when you can. I'll see you next time.